Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Matrix Dome Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. Join with you know who's uh, pinch hitting for Chris today. I got a three things. When you three things, I think about a endorsement. We haven't done an endorsement in a while. And ask Dave, and then we're going to do a Dave Stradamus. <laughs> All right. Three things I think about that are, quote, in season that excite me the most. I think the harder part to this question is how to source good versions of them, which I don't know exactly how, but uh, I'll go with my three. The number one, and there's two seasons for this, are California King Salmon or Alaskan King Salmon. I take this pretty seriously. I work with Patagonia a few years back about their, their documentary called Damnation. I'm a big angler and, you know, not too long ago, 20 plus years ago, used to be able to fish for Atlantic salmon in the Connecticut rivers. You can't do that anymore. It doesn't exist. Dams and overfishing and pollution and all of these other reasons are why we're just screwing up the, the natural migration of many fish, steelhead trout. There's plenty of others. But salmon is arguably the number one or number two protein behind chicken, or maybe it is number one. And I feel like a hypocrite sometimes because my kids love salmon so much that sometimes I do buy farm raised because I'm like, it is what it is. And it's always hard to source. But when sort of like spring rolls around and I know there's another window late summer or is it fall? I can't remember when King salmon becomes available. It's a really important thing for me. Number one, it's delicious. Number two, it's a reminder to me that the things that we think are available every day are actually seasonal. And it's not, it's not cheap. It's expensive. You can't only like hand line or not hand line, like line fish for them. Um, and they come to these waters to, to spawn, but they're usually out in the ocean. And Chinook is, is King Salmon. And, you know, you can fish for them year round. I know you can in Vancouver. When I did that, oh, delicious with Seth. Um, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Seth. We were out there fishing for Chinook, and I, I didn't know that. I don't know if you could keep them. I didn't ask. I don't remember asking. But you can catch them year-round, especially if you're in the deep ocean. I find them to be delicious. I think that they're by far and away the most delicious salmon. Better than sockeye. Better than chum. Way better than... Uh, there's like, I don't know, 8 to 10 salmon species. But when... King salmon season rolls around, I always make sure to get it. I also think that buying it is not easy. Supermarkets that carry them, sometimes I wonder if it actually is king salmon. I got to be honest. Or if it is, it's not really being stored or handled in the right way. And if you do mail order it, it's difficult. I will say sometimes, like if you get Aura King Salmon, which is, they say, the best king salmon from New Zealand. That's usually handled the right way, and it's really good. And you know, people I talk to send, tend to vouch for for Aura, but for the most part, I still like 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 a lot of things. It's surprising because it's just not in my nature. I try to like delay my gratification and not eat certain things until I can go there, like certain things that are Japanese or Korean. I'd rather wait to be there in person. King salmon is that, and it's not just the z- deliciousness of it. It's a, always a reminder to me that. Things are seasonal. And 
I wish that I could fish for king salmon in 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 the Atlantic region, and maybe one day we will we'll be able to. But that to me is the top of the list. I don't, I just don't know if we're going to be able to reverse that. But it's a delicious fish. It's it's so versatile, and whenever it's here, whenever it's available, it's awesome. And I, it's one fish I'd rather not eat frozen. Because a fresh, like just caught king's and it, it's just really hard to beat. And it yields so much. So I would say that as number one food. And again, let me just reiterate, there's no wild Atlantic king salmon. If it's on your menu, that's a, it's a literally illegal. They exist, declining populations, but you cannot. And I know that there's plenty of menus. And you're going to see a lot of marketing around salmon, Scottish salmon. What the fuck does that mean? I know it's it's really tough to sort out because I'm just as much a hypocrite as anybody else, right? Most of the smoked salmon you get is either sockeye or Atlantic. And while I'm not going to hear talk about farm-raised salmon because I, I again I haven't been in a loop for some years. Maybe maybe it's improved dramatically, but you know the, the great fear is a lot of the farm-raised salmon that are in pens can escape, breed with. Atlantic salmon or wild salmon, and then, you know, you're breeding out all of the the wild things that make them survive. Anyway, I, I don't want to talk more about this. It's just by far, when I think about the seasonal item I love the most, it's whenever King Salmon comes aboard and I try to get it. And to be honest, I don't know how a retail person gets it, you know? I know at the restaurants, I know at Major Domo here, we got, you know, whole and they're beautiful. I just don't know how you get that. And I tried. I've tried. I've tried many sources and sometimes it just isn't it. And I also don't know if it, it's like it is actually it. Yeah. So that's difficult. And I think hopefully being able to verify certain things, I think it's going to come sooner rather than later. Number two, I would say, is in, in Asian culture, in East Asia, and I know it grows elsewhere, is the Matsutake or the Koreans call it songi. Well, that's like a general for mushrooms, yeah. But what's the Korean name for matsutake? I can never remember. Yeah, songi. Pine mushrooms. Pine mushrooms. They, they really grow in autumn. There are, there are a lot of mushrooms I love the most. But the one mushroom, when it becomes available, it, 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 to me, there's nothing like it. Really. It actually has a pretty long shelf life because clearly it has to get over here. But when I was in Asia, to get like day foraged pine mushrooms, I was like, holy shit. This is, it was, it's almost as if the fragrance is like a pine, pine tree refreshener in your car actually smelled amazing. You know, it smelled like the forest in the most real way. It, it, it has, in Willy Wonka, there's the everlasting gobstopper where you can taste all the meals. And I, I swear, when I can smell a great pine mushroom, it really smells exactly like the forest. You can smell the dampness or, you know, the, the, the moisture. It just smells, it is sort of inevitable. You're like, how can this mushroom smell exactly like a pine tree and everything around it? I just think it's one of the most 
amazing mushrooms. And I love mushrooms. I love truffles. I love truffles. I love white truffles. I should say white truffles too, but I feel like with truffle production, you can get that on the regular. And getting great pine mushrooms is much more difficult to me than getting black truffles or white truffles. I would say black truffles are the most overrated, most omnipresent. I I do love white truffles, I got to say. But to me... There's so many logistics in place to get great white truffles, like almost the day of. And it's gotten infinitely better since, say, 30 years ago. I can't even imagine longer than that. It's still very difficult to get best-in-class Matsutake Songi, I think. And sometimes you just don't have to do much. You can just shave it raw. But it's so aromatic. What I like to do is a lot of mushrooms in general, sort of the aromatics and the flavor get activated with heat or fat. For example, like black truffles get activated with fat. I like steam. Anything that's steamed with matsutake. Rice, shaved matsutake or matsutake cooked over rice. Just salt, no soy. That to me is the cleanest flavors you could possibly make that, and I mean this, probably the cleanest, most simplest combination of flavors cooked well, that combination tastes way more complex than you could ever think was possible with just two ingredients. Three if you include salt. And yeah, that's how I like it. Even in like a tea, we used to make a matsutake tea like the first year or two of Ko. It was so good. You take scraps and it's just, we, we made pine needle oil too. And again, like pine seems like one of those flavors that would not be delicious, but when done in a subtle way, it is just, it's a real, real weapon to have in your arsenal. So I would say pine mushrooms for sure. Three and getting them. I don't know. (laughs) That one's a little rough. You can find them at uh, your Asian supermarkets when it's like autumn or late autumn, but they're not. I'm going to be honest. They're not great. I still buy them. Yeah. You know, just to like remind me. But um, I haven't had a great Matsutake in a long time. These things are pricey. They're extremely expensive. I would say too, like totally different flavor, but the most underrated and again, trying to be useful for people. That's most people will never get a taste of Matsutake or, you know, pine mushroom. Button mushrooms shaved thinly really good button mushrooms that you could probably get at a farmer's market. Extremely aromatic as well. They got to be sliced super thin and they make wonderful broths. Third thing that I'm going to say gets so much hate because it's written about and at least in the East Coast, particularly New York, all the way down to say Tennessee, it's on every menu and that's ramps. It's a wild alien. It's a wild onion. And, you know, it to me is so good. I know a lot of people, people that write about food get so tired of it because omnipresent on menus. But I got to say, like, I'm so excited. We used to get it from West Virginia shipped up. And they're a bitch to fucking clean. Not a bitch. They're just, they're pretty easy to clean, but there's so many of them. I mean, we get like 400, 500 pounds. And they're so versatile. They're great grilled. When they're really young, they're great raw. 
the leaves, you, you know, if they're really big, you can take the leaves off, pick the, pick the leaves, you can chiffonade them, add them to a salad, you can saute them, you can take the, 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 the bulb itself up to the beginning of the green and pickle them, you know. So it's like what I love about the ramp season is the first, first batch of ramps are so delicate and they're so wonderful and you can pickle those or you can quickly saute them. But as they grow and as they get bigger, there's different uses for each size of those ramps. And it's a reminder that like, oh shit, spring's going to end. It is one of the only markers of spring for me besides the weather because the doldrums of winter, at least on the East Coast, there's nothing to work with. You can only work with pumpkins and apples for so long and cabbage. And it really legitimately is the first sign of spring. A lot, a lot of times they compare it with morels and asparagus. That's a fucking lie because those seasons are well, well after the fact. It's people are just so bored with just selling the same old shit that you want to accompany it with anything that is like the first of the season, anything. But really ramps to me were always the first sign of spring. And when that happens, it just brings so many cooks and chefs like a crazy amount of joy. So yeah, I don't know how many people in California or West Coast would understand. Maybe there are some local varieties, but my love for ramps runs deep. One of my favorite food memories of all time was me and Sean Brock went down to Tennessee to see Alan Benton of Benton's Bacon, and he took us I believe I talked about this before. We went in with Alan and his wife and we drove through North Carolina, right? Around a mountain and came back into Tennessee to like, felt like Lord of the Rings because he gave us to the secret location of Ramp Nirvana. Everywhere you looked in this valley were ramps and it was just amazing. And He's never going to tell anybody where this location is. And it's a place that he knew growing up and it's almost inaccessible because you have to hike there. And we brought a bunch of stuff and he brought a portable grill and we just cooked up his ham, his, his soft sack sausage, sack sausage, not soft sack, sack sausage, which is not something he ships out, Alan Benton, his bacon and eggs. And we just grilled it all up by the river with all these freshly picked ramps and we cleaned them in the water, uh, in the riverbed. It was awesome. It was one of my best food memories of all time. And again, it's like something that is so humble and something that he had been eating his entire life that only got really popularized in the late nineties by chefs like Tom Colicchio and, and that generation of American chefs in New York. I, I, I just, I love it because it means so much to me, particularly because of the mentors that I work for was so meaningful to them too. So it's a nice continuation. And I got to say, last year I didn't have a single ramp. So I'm looking forward to trying to eat ramps in 2024. Is that it? Yeah. All right, that's it. Salmon, pine, mushrooms, and ramps. Moving on. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs, scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Ice Tea. 
great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new pure leaf blackberry iced tea that we have here at the Spotify studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. We did a podcast with a great outdoorsman, Stephen Rinell, somebody that we've all been talking quite a bit about because he's such an interesting guy. But one of the things for sure is he's always outdoors. I like being outdoors. But sometimes when I am outdoors, I'm wondering, this is dangerous. This is sketchy. Again, when I go fishing and I'm in the middle of nowhere and there's lightning and a water spout forming, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Maybe I shouldn't have a graphite rod in my hand. Why am I doing this? It happens every time. Or if I'm in Wyoming in a drift boat. Maybe I shouldn't be in a boat because I could just fall right out. And knowing me, I'm, you know, this is not, the, not a wise move. Every time I leave the house to do something outdoors, I increase the chance of something terrible happening. That's just a fact. That's why I cannot wait for self-driving cars. <laughs> Never drive. But anyway, we have a couple reasons to stay indoors. In the New York Times, it says, the beach is lovely, the water maybe not so much. As the oceans warm, pathogenic bacteria turning up more frequently in northern regions, scientists say. What does pathogenic mean? Things that can kill you? disease, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's so much going outdoors. I think that can still screw you being indoors because of oysters and shellfish. Oh, my God. Don't do this. It's just true. So there's a bunch of things. Red Tide, I believe, is one of the names. There are years where you're not allowed to eat certain bivalves or mollusks because they are, you know, potentially carriers of deadly pathogens. It sucks. But I would say one of the riskiest things you could probably put on a menu is an oyster or a bivalve right now, even in colder waters. And that's a real thing about global warming. Many of the waters that were safe for so long, even if they were in places that were very virgin in its cleanliness, going to get you indoors too going to get you indoors too or you know if you're inside in a restaurant you can't get certain things so it wasn't that long ago here in california you weren't allowed to go swimming in the ocean because of certain pathogens as well yeah and i remember we're at the beach and i was telling grace it's like you look at the map you're like that's only like two miles away but they're saying that you could go in the water but you can't go in the water here i know we're just in a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. so enjoy it while it lasts Definitely. This is going to be later with a, Dave, a prediction. I, I think we're going to have less and less oysters potentially. Mm. Not, we're always going to have oysters, but there are going to be certain waters that are protected. Right? Yeah. But a lot of places that are more subject to pathogens, like the Pacific Northwest, you see that a lot more than, say, New England area. You know, hopefully it. It, it doesn't happen, but, you know, that's a, that actually bums me out because if I stay indoors, I can still have something bad happen. <laughs> Al Jazeera uh, has an article about air pollution. The WHO World Health Organization estimates that air pollution is responsible for more than 7 million premature deaths 
every year around the world, contributing to pulmonary and heart disease, lung cancer, and respiratory infections. Almost all of the world's population breathes air that is dirtier than levels recommended by the WHO. This is also not a... Usually, when we do these, you know, the great indoors, it's a benefit to staying inside. (laughs) It's just like, well, you can not die, you know? No, but it's, again, bad indoors as well. (laughs) Thanks thanks for choosing this. (laughs) You know? We got some weird ones. Yeah. Let's... uh, just turn on some Elliot Smith right now. <laughs> it's so sad. Oh, man. It's a real problem. Especially, I never cared about this before, but when we moved to Los Angeles, the air clearly was fucked because of we had all, all the, the fires out here. New York and the East Coast experienced a lot of those issues with fires from Canada. And when you have to start to buy an air purifier, that that's that's, you know, it's not great. You know, even I would go to the Rockies a bunch, you go there for fresh air and you can't do that. So again, thanks a lot. You know, <laughs> when you can stay indoors and it's not a benefit to staying indoors. <laughs> There's a sharks on a golf course here. So it's oh, you have brain altering parasite turns ants into zombies at dawn and dusk. Parasite takes over the brains of ants causing them to cling to the tops of blades of grass where they can be eaten by cattle and deer. The common liver fluke has an exceptional life cycle as it moves through snails, ants, and grass-grazing herbivores. What's a liver fluke? So this is the name of the, the parasite that like apparently just embeds itself into the ant's brain and then has the ant crawl to the top of the blade of grass and then just wait to be eaten by like a, like a cow. Well, I've been told there's this deer disease anyway. Right, that it, it literally cr- turns them into zombies to some degree. Maybe this is it. Yeah, this this again, I think affects you inside too, right? Because if somebody goes hunting and they give you venison or something, like maybe that passes on. So thanks a lot, you know. Thanks oh. for <laughs> ruining my little bubble of being an endorsement. <laughs> I, I I would say too, it's like another bummer. We're just going to go deep, deep, deep <laughs> sadness. I didn't know there were ticks in California. Did you guys know there were ticks in California? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know. My wife and I were so excited to get out because everyone we know, not say everyone, many people we know seem to be getting Lyme disease because in New York, once you step out of the city, it's like everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's like the benefit of staying in New York. No ticks. Now there's ticks here. Maybe there always was, but I don't know if they have Lyme disease. They have other stuff. Yeah, no, that's something we, yeah, you got to protect your house against and like make sure you spray up and get these ticks out. What am I going to do if I can't stay indoors? I can't even, what am I going to do? Yeah, we should rename the segment to uh, You're Fucked Either Way, you know, and. uh, (laughs) Oh, I'm sure if we look at the data on this podcast, it's going to go way down on this segment. Uh, (laughs) Lastly, sharks on a golf course made a watery grave unlike any other. A group of bull sharks ended up spending 17 years in a lake by a golf course's 14th hole, suggesting that the predators can live in low saltwater environments. And definitely, this is true. And in Florida, bull sharks are one of the most aggressive, dangerous sharks. And they swim up through channels or estuaries or brackish water, which is a combination. And Florida has a ton of that. And what has happened is, and I've known this in between, independently of this, Development will happen and they'll, you know, block off certain 
lanes for them to get back in motion. So they could just get stuck. So they can actually live in sort of more than, it's more freshwater than saltwater. Yeah. And they're surviving and just like, apparently just eating whatever comes in there and like whatever fell in there. And so 17 years. Well, that's only Florida. So it's just <laughs> an example to not move to Florida. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. It's time for Ask Dave. Remember, you can send us questions at askdave at majordomamedia.com or you can send them to, you know, uh, if you're on a Discord channel. Are groceries more or less expensive for Dave? Dear, what does it say? Dear Inigo and, oh, Indigo. <laughs> Indigo and Fezzik. A nice reference to Princess Bride. I'm curious about whether a weekly grocery shop is more expensive or less expensive for someone like you operating in and around the world of high-end professional chefery. Essentially, is your typical family grocery bill more expensive because quality food is a real priority for you and you've become aware of and accustomed to a standard of ingredient quality and a range of specialist items that you tend to opt for? Or is it less expensive because of your connections, trade discounts, and understanding of where and how to source ingredients and a deeper knowledge of meal planning, meal planning and prep, kitchen budgeting, etc.? Leave aside restaurant visits. Assume we're broadly in a similar economic ballpark that I could, and that I like to cook good food at home and that I'm not and have never been a chef. Thanks so much. All right. A dubber. It's a good question. I think it depends on where you're at. I do think that if you live in New York City, it's, it sounds crazy if you've never lived there. It's cheaper to buy food than to make food more often than not. That's not crazy. That's how my life is. That's not always true, right? But the reason I say that is sometimes the kitchen is so small and there's just not enough things to make. And if you want to be on a budget, super budget, yeah, you can do that. But if you have a family, I do know that it seems to be cheaper, especially since many people aren't coming home till very late, even if you are working for home. 
And groceries are so goddamn expensive in New York. They just are. Everything is so much more. So wherever you think you are, it's definitely more expensive. Like everyone complains about Erewhon prices in Los Angeles. Everything's Erewhon prices in New York. <laughs> and it's just hard. It's hard. And yes, you, 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 you eat meals at home, but more often than not, it's easier to just get a slice of pizza, right? That's the meal for like so many people or a beef patty or a sandwich at your bodega because just do the math here. If you buy deli cuts, deli cuts right now for like, I mean, it feels like it's eight ounces. It's like in New York, I bet you it's like eight ninety nine for like turkey, ham. So you buy like two things of deli cuts, just the meat. It's like, let's just say the low end, 16, 17 bucks. Cheese, anything else. And you buy any other condiments. Like you're probably at like low end, low twenties. Low, probably like 24, 25. And you haven't even gotten the bread yet. So let's just say you're $25 in for meats, condiments, and bread. As crazy as that sounds, $25 is probably on the cheaper end in New York. And we're just talking about a sandwich. Now, I might get two to three sandwiches out of that deli meat for the family, four tops. But I could go to the bodega. And get a $7.99, $8.99 sandwich with way more meat. Right? Yeah. And I didn't have to buy it. I didn't have to cut any of it. It's ready to go. It's there. And that's sort of the dilemma is oftentimes it's cheaper. Or you can just get like literally there's 99 cent pizza slices in New York. They're so busy. Is it good? That's another question. Yeah. So there are many places where you can go. You can go to a lot of restaurants too that may not be sit down and eat like get a full meal for under eight bucks six six seven bucks yeah for sure place in the east village place in midtown well yeah while things have gotten more expensive like you have more variety so i would say yes on paper probably it's more cost effective to make everything in home in your house in your apartment wherever you may live But the ease and the time and effort and all of that stuff to make the food you want is sort of like negligible versus just like having it ready to go. And that's New York. And I feel like that seems to be the case growing for many people in America, at least. So grocery bill shopping depends on where you live. I never really grocery shopped other than getting sort of the essentials and beer and stuff like that. But now... I would say it depends on what I need. And I don't buy fish. If I buy fish at the supermarket, it's almost always frozen. And I try to buy wild. Most of my vegetables and fruits can come anywhere. But when I go to the farmer's market, so I go to three different farmer's market, the one in South Pass, the one in Alhambra, and the one in Altadena. Or Flint Ridge, depending on the day. Like, I've been known to spend like a hundred bucks easy in there, right? Because now I have two kids. Oh, that's right. Every day they eat one pint, one one pint of strawberries. One 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 of those small boxes every day. So that's three days. So if I buy three of those, they eat one. (laughs) Or fruit, right? Whether it's strawberries. So they're eating one of those a day between Uh the two of them. Okay, right. So it's like okay. If you buy three of those boxes, 
it's like 18 bucks, 19 bucks, 20 bucks, depending. Sometimes it's 25. If you're buying Harry's berries, it's probably 50, 60 bucks. 20 bucks each, yeah. But they're great farmers that don't have the Harry's berries label that you can buy wonderful organic fruit. And then you buy some lettuce and carrots. So like you can spend 50 bucks easy for a family of four on the low end going to a farmer's market. So we try to do that because they eat a lot of fruit. So like that's pretty much the only splurge that I have that everyone has access to. But I buy everything for the most part from everywhere. I shop at all the supermarkets as everyone does. In fact, I buy I go to Vallarta supermarket probably more than any other place right now. That's so dope. <laughs> I really think Vallarta supermarket's awesome. There's another a Hispanic market called Northridge, Northridge I believe, yeah. which is good, but I think Vallarta supermarket I go there more than H Mart by far. I go there more than 99 Ranch. The supermarket I go to the most these days is Vallarta Supermarket because okay. I love their, I just love everything they do and they have and their produce and everything. So if you ask me, I would say go to Vallarta and even, like I always look at the milk prices, right? Vallarta has really good milk prices compared. My wife buys a lot of the milk at Target. Target has great milk prices too. But like, why? I don't know, but it just seems like a getting things where you're not getting fucking ripped off. And I think fundamentally, I don't like getting ripped off, you know, and you can go elsewhere. So we go to Trader Joe's for things, but, it, but like, you know, I would say the only thing I don't do, you go to, we buy some fish at the joint. We buy, whenever it's a celebratory thing, we're going to buy things from say, say Regalis, but I don't even do that, you know, partly because I don't know. It just seems to be more work than not, but I do know people that only buy the most expensive, best stuff. There are chefs that I know that only eat the super premium shit. I'm definitely not like that. I just think it's more work than not. And yeah, I don't, if, if I try to make anything raw, I'm going to get something from a really nice fish place, usually from the joint here. Leeway's got good stuff. And yeah, do I get discounts at places that we have business on a professional level? Yeah, I do, but I don't do it a lot, mm-hmm. right? So most of everything I get is the same. And I would say, I see the cost analysis, no, the cost. And anytime I'm grocery shopping and I see another family in front of me, I'm always like, okay, they got two kids, they got three kids. It's always the same amount. Almost always in terms of like, I see what's in their card. It's almost always the same. So Andrew, I will tell you that we're pretty much in the same boat then, you know? And every time you leave any supermarket, you're like, fuck man, it's going to last us like two days. <laughs> you feeling it. You're all feeling it. Okay. I do think that there's people that think, oh, I just eat like the finest shit. Oh, definitely. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I didn't cook at home. Because I hated getting the products from supermarkets because it just was never as good. I see. Even the stuff you get from the farmer's market, just so you guys know, you're getting the second to third best tier. Yeah. (laughs) You think you're getting the best? Yeah. You're not. The restaurants are getting the first cut of everything. It's all pre-reserved. Probably not even going to the market. It's already on a truck going to the chefs sometimes. So, for the most part, chefs are always getting the best. Restaurants are always getting the best. But... I guess theoretically I could do it, but it would be a lot more work. And the reason I wouldn't do it feels like I'd be running a fucking restaurant. I'm already a <laughs> private chef at my own house. So like, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. When you're at the grocery store, 
Self-checkout? Yes or no? I don't do self-checkout. Okay. Unless it's really... Like a couple of things. or A couple of things. Mainly because I've never done it successfully without having to raise my hand or someone come over. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Every every time. And I'm always like, what's the point of having self-checkout when every time I'm there, someone has to help me? <laughs> you know, or I press the wrong button or, you know, I press debit instead of credit and like, everything gets <laughs> fucked. Or, you know, it's like place it in the bag. And I did place it in the bag. And they're like, no, 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 you, you have to place it in the bag again. And I... <laughs> I did. And who am I talking to? <laughs> I put it in the fucking bag. Scan and put it in the bag. I, put, I did. I put it in the fucking bag. What do you want? And now it's like the, the red light goes on <laughs> and you feel like you're, st- you're stealing something. So no, I think we're a ways away from, you know, having self-check. I will say the Amazon uh, stores where you can just walk in. Oh, the walkout. And yeah. feel like you're shoplifting. It's awesome. I love it. I just did it. Yeah. So great. I love it. I don't care what anyone says. Like, the thrill of feeling like you're just <laughs> stealing a bunch of shit. And like, again, what I love, we were talking about the, the a couple of the last episode about ruining your image of a restaurant when you're getting the bill. I don't even get a bill. If you yeah. turn off notifications on your phone, you don't even know don't what even you know, spent. Yeah, you don't even know what you spent. You walk the fuck out. And honestly, man, if, if I didn't get in trouble shoplifting, I might do it all the time because it's, <laughs> I get the thrill. It's awesome. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> just take this, and get take out it, here. and get the fuck out. Awesome feeling. Yeah. So I, 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 I do enjoy that. But anytime it's a self checkout, I don't like to do. Yeah. In fact, yesterday I was at uh, Rite Aid picking up some stuff, and I can't. There's some things I can't. I just won't do. Now I look at it, and I know that people that are younger, are like you, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think Ooh, I'm glad you got that over me <laughs> no I think we've all been there where it's like oh put it put it in the bagging area I'm like motherfucker it is in the bagging area like what do you want me to do I can't take it out and put it back in and so I take it out put it back in it's like put it in the bagging area and I'm like alright I yeah, need but, help Like, yeah that's the thing it's, just, it's flawed technology I'll say this when the technology gets better like you see it in Amazon stores I'll do it all the time I, I don't want to talk to a human I don't want to see the the dead in their eyes. I don't need to do that. I don't want to have small chit chat. Oh. Right? How's your day? I'm like, well, are we going to, are we really doing this? Are we really doing this? Are we really doing this? Maybe the most like aggressive way. You know what I'm talking about. Oh do you guys God. feel like you're in the mood when you're going grocery shopping, you come back home or you go home and you realize there's nothing in your fridge and you go to the store and then you have chit chat with the clerk. Is that something you want to have? I'm anti chit chat. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And then here's the deal. If they are talking to me and, and I just said, how's your day? And I'm like, great. And then I don't say anything back. I'm the asshole. Because I'm not responding back with uh, another question. You're just a guy that's no, just like... No, 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 no. They want to talk. They, they, they want it. I know they do. My favorite is when they comment about something you're buying. Oh, that's another thing they do. And I find this happens at Trader Joe's more often than not, and I fucking hate it. <laughs> fucking hate it. Oh, what are you going to make with that? I'm like, none of your fucking business. <laughs> what are they... 
What if they always, know who you it's are? Always, like, oh my and God. they probably do. I don't fucking care. They're always like, oh man, like that's so cool. I love making like a, you know, a tortilla soup with that. I'm like, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm feed always my like, family is what I'm yeah, going to do. Just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I love that one. Did you try this flavor? I'm like, I don't care. I'm trying to leave this place as fast as possible. <laughs> Your interaction with me is just prolonging the pain. <laughs> it almost always happens at Trader Joe's. And I think they it's part of their employee manual and their training is yeah. to be fake nice. What do you mean fake nice? They're just being friendly, dude. No, they're not. Man, no, they're you not. You listen to This Is Water with Dave Foster Wallace or you saw the thing, right? And yeah. it's just like, the scene is in a grocery store. So I always try to remember when I'm in line. Like, hey, you know, remember, oh, don't stop. be a piece of shit you know, today. Just because of DFW doesn't mean I every time I walk into a supermarket I need to turn up my empathy. <laughs> no, but I feel that. I'm just like, oh man, you know what? Their job's rough. Yeah, you know, they just do your talk. job more efficiently, less energy about talking, and do the do the shit faster and better and get me out of there. You know? It's like <laughs> if you're if you're continuing to talk, that's less time typing shit in and less time fucking bagging and help I'm bad I'll bag I don't give a fuck yeah yeah, yeah. just don't talk to me Man. I'm serious this is this is just not me being a misanthrope I'm like okay it's 100% you just being a misanthrope no, I'm, I'm just saying like I don't want to chit chat with people I don't want to chit chat with strangers Man. you know what I'm not telling my sons hey you should chit chat with strangers <laughs> it's a nice person at the grocery store okay how do you know they're nice? This is another thing. It's crazy. How do you know they're nice? Listen, I'm not going to make a character judgment in like five seconds while they're like. It's like saying shit. all food critics have a moral compass. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, that's demonstrably false. But like, there's also like, no, it's just. And you like, know who you are, motherfucker. <laughs> Dave, I need I need to know how, to what extent do you profile the cashiers? <laughs> that's what. How based the fuck on do how you know? like how quickly it's really hard to Trader Joe's because they're wearing the Hawaiian shirt. Number one. <laughs> Okay, it's really hard. It's 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 just this fake nice. But for the most part, I I prefer anybody that's a cashier clerk that just blends in. (laughs) I want them to blend in. That I don't even. If I don't even have to make eye contact, even better. All that I want to have is paper plastic. You know, it's like that's it. I'm pretty sure like, this is like, or it's like, oh, this is another. I'm just now gonna vent. How many fucking times do I need to go to a supermarket? And they're saying, like, do you need bags? What the fuck do you think? <laughs> do you see me with bags? <laughs> do you see me with canvas tote bags galore? I got nothing here. Yeah, no, actually, I like all my shit spread out. Yeah, so it just takes one quick glance to see that I am bagless. And yet you still have to look me in line and be like, do you need bags? How else am I going to fucking carry the shit out of here? Well, they got to charge you for those bags. So yeah. you got to let them know. So the answer is yes. It's a given. <laughs> it's like a geometric proof. First line given. I need fucking bags. You know what it is? Some asshole somewhere back in the past was like, you guys charge me 10 cents a bag. You need to ask me before you fucking take these bags out. You know, like some asshole said that. And no, now they all no. have to say that. Listen, they should have enough awareness. Like it's a Madden rating. <laughs> All right, I'm EA Sports. You've done it for football players and you've changed the game. Let's do this for all retail workers. Let's let's gamify this shit. 
situational awareness. What, what I want to know when I go into a grocery store is this. If they already have 10 items less, 20 items less, cash or debit only, credit card only, I want a line that says high awareness. <laughs> high situational awareness. High situational oh awareness. Because like, if we gave them a rating, who's, you know, I would wait. If I saw a line like 99 situational awareness and that was over the light of like, okay, go to aisle 14, check your stuff out. And the other person has like 54. Who am I going to? Okay. <laughs> this is the Ed Reed of supermarket checkout clerks. Yeah. I think it does matter. <laughs> They're just like, so, but wouldn't that naturally have more people in it? Cause they'll be like, oh, I want the, I want the person who's like, you know, better than a machine. Yeah, well, you, the reason I'm pro that is the person with the 54 rating. You know what you need to do. You, need to, <laughs> you now know what you have to do to improve. So do your fucking work, do your job, and do it well. And I did years of being a cashier. All right, years. That's like I've cashiered more fucking times than most people, and I fucking sucked at it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking sucked. So that's all I'm saying is. Situational awareness. Do you know when to talk to me? Do you want to talk to me? Just don't assume that it, don't give me any platitudes and like assume that I want to talk. Just, I'd rather have no one talk. Just do your job. Act like you've been there. Don't celebrate every time you score a fucking touchdown. Just go. Just do your thing. Let me go. Because listen, what's the difference? Between, I, what I want from a human there is no different than a machine that works really well that's auto check. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But that human element of like, hey, this person's just having a day. Hey, maybe I'm Gen Z and I want to go. I'm just Gen Z by, by nature. Actually, yeah. According to the New York Post, there was a generational divide. 84% of Gen Z and 76% of millennials. I knew, we were, I knew we were kindred spirits. I knew it. What if the machines become sentient like your soap dispenser? <laughs> I know, right? Dave, we know how many cashiers you've mistreated in the past. Like what it is is like we know that you ate those chicken fingers from the hot buffet. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we know there's only four chicken fingers yeah. in here. We're charging you for six. All right. Let's get to a take a break. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Dave Stradamus. The uncertain future of restaurant front of the house service. Restaurant front of the house, FOH, seemed to be at the crossroads. Humanity seems to be at a crossroads. <laughs> on one hand, you've got people rebelling against mandatory service fees and crying foul and tipping. On the other hand, you've got major technological advances and implementation implementations in front of the house automation. Heidi Lau, you order off an iPad and the location in the Century City uses a robot delivery food and not just Heidi Lau. Many places in Asia now have the service robot and I think it's awesome. It's awesome. Their job is just to bust tables. Their job is just to actually be a caddy to be like, throw shit from the table and just do your job and you're just a bowling ball. Get out of my way. I love it. You have revolving sushi bar. I love conveyor belt. I just had a conversation about not a project, but something I've been talking about. No one's done conveyor belt. Well, there, there are some that work, but I'm a big believer in conveyor belt. 
I'm a huge believer in Kevin Conveyor Belt, and I would love to work on an like an idea of Marguerite would let me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why we were really working on a, a Brazilian steakhouse, which we had in the back room at the Venetian. I love Brazilian steakhouses, not just because of the food, because of the business model behind it. The cooks are your servers. Streamline. Without really like, it, where you can cut out things and, and not take away from the experience, but enhance it, that's like an awesome model. I also understand that we're removing jobs. So it's a longer conversation, but I will just say this for the people that are anti-technology in restaurants. Where were you complaining about all the other times technology just changed the employment industry, you know? It's like everything. You know, you're using a computer. I mean, you used to have to pay somebody to dictate your shit. Yeah. You got here in a car. You're, you're the product of many elimination, job elimination. So again, like I'm not to say that, but I've had many conversations with people, especially when we started like the first, what is now called the ghost kitchen. I knew that I wasn't trying to eliminate restaurants. I was trying to make sure that restaurants would be centrally like situated where we would own the bottleneck, where food would have to come and you don't have to give the service fees to delivery third parties. So I think this is a much larger conversation. I am not the person to have it because it's way too sophisticated and complicated, but I will say that there's certain things where we have to look at the, the benefits of something, right? If you lose something, are you getting something in return that outweighs the loss? And that's all I'm saying. And right now, there's a job shortage across the board in, in, the, in the hospitality industry. So why wouldn't we try to make things a little bit more efficient? On the same time, if you go to McDonald's right now, I think a couple of years ago, their were, were like, profit was like way higher, mainly because they started to eliminate a lot of cash registers. And they have the kiosks. Right. No one's complaining about kiosks anymore. We were just talking about supermarket aisles where you can auto check out millennials and Gen Z are using it more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, one of the most dependable jobs, entry level jobs is being a grocery store or any kind of retail clerk. Where's the, out, not outrage, but like, where's the concern for that? And it's happening. And part of it is just accepting it to some degree. So I'm always trying to figure out what's around the corner, particularly in the tech and food technology. And it's not even about, I, I'm not thinking about necessarily the loss of the human element. I'm always thinking about, well, that's cooler and, more, and a different way of doing it. And I love what is a bad idea. And right now, conveyor belts are a bad idea because it sucks most, for the most part. But what if it was great, right? What if, it, what if it allowed, you know, a new hybrid version? So the way I think about food really is no different than a general manager or coach thinks about sports, right? Like, why do I need a seven foot, 300 pound center to just stay in the paint in basketball? Why do I need to have a running back? Why do I need to have a, a six foot five quarterback that is a pocket passer? I'm more interested in having things positionless and keeping things open and effective and efficient that way. And I love all the multitude of options that come from running a restaurant that way. So 
instead of just thinking the negative aspects of a conveyor belt would be, again, dumb, sort of like, you know, just a, uh, a gimmick to some degree. I love that again because I, I love bad ideas. What if it was awesome? What if it actually enhanced the service experience? What if it actually allowed cooks to make better food? What if it ch- changed the, 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 the design of a kitchen? Right? Yeah. And I, I'm just saying this. When I, I can't remember which casino, but I saw they did like 30,000 people in a day for a big event. They set up robotic conveyor belts that were temporary. You know, like you can move it around in this giant kitchen. And I was like, whoa. So everyone's doing their, their food, they plate, and they put it on a conveyor belt and it goes right out. I thought that was sick. It allowed less cooks, but better food. And you were able to cook 30,000 people. So, so the difference is, is maybe it's less cooks, but you're able to pay those cooks more. I don't know. I'm not the economist here, but I am not on the side to say technology is a bad thing. I think we need to explore it and all the ways that it can actually be a good idea. So I'm definitely drawn to things that change. Like Heidi Lau, any, like a robot server, it's like, great. The other thing is this, busing table sucks. Yeah. Busing tables absolutely sucks. If you've never bus tables, it sucks. It's just the truth. But now if I have a robot that actually takes half of the shitty job out, fantastic. If my job now is just to put it into the robot's bucket great so again i i can certainly see the other side i do not think that the advancement of technology and innovation is a bad thing um and it doesn't always have to be super high end or super high tech either it could be something that's low tech that happens so is automation really the future of front house service it already is you know yeah i mean a lot of restaurants, particularly in Europe and Asia, they just give you the check and you pay everything right there. You don't have to get out. A lot of restaurants, they have your credit card because you made the reservation. It's already seamless. All right? I, I personally believe that the next innovation in food is one of the point-of-sale systems that ties in with a reservation system that has all of your data because everything in this world is about collection of data. And with AI, which is another thing that's going to... We should do a whole episode about AI, but for sure... AI is going to be instrumental in sorting out and labeling that data about customers in a restaurant to actually give preferences exactly what, you know, higher percentage of what they're going to like and what they're going to want to do. Again, knowing full well that I'm, I'm going to want certain dishes, I think that's pretty cool, right? So it's already happening. It's only going to happen at a more rapid clip. So, and... All you have to do is look at any restaurant right now. There's automation everywhere. Dishwasher is sort of like right now a modern dishwasher in a, a say, a hundred seat restaurant in a major city is probably like the cost of like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. It's it's got electronics to some degree. It's got a computer inside that has eliminated I don't know how many jobs. Because it's awesome. You cannot operate a restaurant today without a, a really nice dishwasher. 
I always think about when Renee had the restaurant pop up in Mexico. In the middle of nowhere, they made the they made their pop up, the Noma pop up. But I remember looking at the dishwashing station. There were like twelve to sixteen people there washing things by hand. So, like, think about that. That literally happened within the last ten years, and I was like, man, wow. Or you could have one or two people. So it's an allocation of resources. On one hand, it's great to employ all these people, but is it a job that they want to do? Or would we want to pay somebody to do it really well that wants to do it? Mm-hmm. Because being a professional dishwasher is arguably the most important job <laughs> in the kitchen. And that's a, that's a, it's a machine that's eliminated all these jobs. Think about all the tools, a blender, a Roboku, which is like a professional blender as well. All of these things eliminated cook's positions. Think about a, we still use, a, not on many restaurants, but we have an island, which is piano, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, a traditional French style oven range that was still set up. Those are still based. The, the organization of it is not just based on the military. It's based on the, the, the use of coal. You literally had a coal runner. The lowest job in a kitchen was a, the young person that had to run and get coal to fuel the fucking oven. Yeah. You know, so we have gas. And I <laughs> guarantee you when gas was introduced, there were a whole group of people like, we're going to lose the coal runner. Mm. We're going to lose this position and this position. But like, it's better. It's certainly healthier. Yeah. It's safe. It's safer. But we have vestiges of that still because the brigade system is based around that too. So. I, again, I'm not saying I have any answers and I'm sure many of the things I'm saying are wrong. All I'm saying for someone that is a dire pessimist to most things, I am genuinely optimistic for things because it, I think it does open the doors for other areas that you may not see. So there's a lot of automation. And again, to just stress, you definitely are not going to have robots in the kitchen and robot servers, right? Not in our lifetimes. I will just fucking guarantee that. We're not going to see that. And not at a high end. We just can't do the dexterity of hands. It's not going to happen. It's all going to be things like fryers and Mm -hmm. polishing and things like that. So I will also say, you know, this hasn't really happened. I I made a bold prediction a few years back. In Australia, there's a hiring shortage for restaurants. So I would see a lot of restaurants during the daytime because you have to operate in the day for the most part, not all restaurants, because that can be a revenue generator as well because you're open and you're paying rent and utilities anyway. In a lot of restaurants, bars, because wages are so high in Australia. So high. And it's a good thing. There's, you know, it's a social estate. There's incredible benefits, but that comes at a cost. That's why your chapstick that you buy, there's like, 15 bucks. You know? Jesus. You know, sometimes it's all those things. Like going out and buying things is expensive. Mm-hmm. But again, there's a safety net for, for, for Australia. And it's awesome. But I saw a lot of restaurants going to a number ordering system. So there, there was a bar. And this you see in a bunch. It's serve yourself. It's almost like how Republica has it in the daytime here in LA. Oh, for the… For the- or you might see in New York in a, in a deli. You pull a number. And you get to order. Right. That's a low-tech way. But like, that's all... We're already, we already have already implemented that system without the technology. 
Why are you doing that? Because you're short staff and allows you to isolate your talent in a certain degree. Right? Yeah. Like we've already done that. The reason why you might have a, a buffet is because you can literally have one or two super talented cooks to batch out a bunch of fucking food mm-hmm. and it's serve yourself. So don't assume that like new technology is eliminating it. Old technologies eliminate a lot of jobs too. Mm-hmm. old ways of organizing things and all the new technology is going to do is allow the old ways to be more effective. You know, so clearly I think about this a lot. I don't have any answers, but when I saw that going back to Australia, it's like there are a lot of restaurants that I would be, I was so surprised that they would have a, a order at the counter, take a number, take a number and sit down. Some places were order at the counter, take a number, sit down, and then we see your number called and you go up and pick it up on a train and you bring it back like it's a fast food place or a barbecue spot. And at nighttime, there's like six captains and there's four waiters and there's four back waiters. You know, it's like day and night difference. Yeah. So it's in some ways, like it's the only way you can operate a kind of establishment. I, was, I also saw that in bars. Like imagine going to a bar in America and there's a queue to get drinks. Because if you have a busy bar, it's like whatever your bartender is, you're just, hey, you're trying to, in the mosh pit, trying to get service. Well, some busy bars, and I've seen this in other countries, but more than I saw it way more in Australia, you have one bartender or two bartenders, where in America, you might have four Mm -hmm. and you're just waiting in line because, you know, you're just waiting in line because that's it. You get your drink made and then you leave. Like you're going to a concession stand at a stadium. So it doesn't have to be high tech. I think that that's what we're going to see more of, right? Much more consolidation of ordering and delivery. The difference is on the super high end. So again, most things in culture, the middle is getting squeezed into nothing. Mm -hmm. Everything on one end is getting cheaper and faster, more convenient. And on the other hand, the experiential, oftentimes the super expensive, luxurious high end is going to be extremely luxurious in service mm-hmm. because now they can charge even more. And I think, I think you're already seeing this. Look at all destination dining. Try to get a reservation at any two to three mission star restaurant in the middle of nowhere. It's, you can't. It's, like, you're, you're, it's so impossible to get. And that's great. But it's already happening because it's the only place where you're going to get fed with the best service possible those places are never going to go high end, mm-hmm. right? And it's almost like uh, my last thought on this is you just have to look at other pockets in technology, right? So when the iPad came out, everyone thought, oh, everyone's going to use it. It's the best thing in the world for educational purposes. In some degrees it is. But now there are studies that say most lower income kids are only have the iPad to help them with education. And the wealthier you are, they're not using any technology or iPads. They're just getting real humans to teach people. Mm-hmm. That pattern is the same in restaurants, right? Exact pattern, yeah. I think. So you're going to have more technology in cheaper places, fast food, super convenient, super quick. And that's where you're going to see the most elimination of jobs. You're already seeing it at a supermarket. You're already seeing it at McDonald's. You've already eliminated the kiosk, right? Not the kiosk, the... Uh, the cashier. Listen, McDonald's, I think, overnight get rid of the cash register. Yeah. Right? 
it's already happening because you can get delivery on your app or pre-order it. Starbucks has it. Almost every place has had it. When you think about the places that have like, like expedited service and the almost cashless transactions, what, what are they? They're all like fast food. quick service at yeah. gas stations, grocery stores, convenience stores, fast food, cheap, fast, necessary commodity things. Where have you not seen any of that? Human, increase in human labor, increase in human service and increase in technology. Anything that's a mom and pop restaurant, anything that's a mid-tier restaurant, it's still running it the same way, mm-hmm. but they're stuck because they can't do this and they can't do that. Mm-hmm. And if you go to, again, a destination place, say in Napa, right? Yeah. You're going to see like, wait, like I have like six servers. I have a captain, a back waiter, a busser, you know, per table. Mm-hmm. I have a sommelier. I have an assistant manager. I have a general manager. That's like five to six people for just my table. Mm-hmm. And some places have an assistant som and then a head som. So when you do the guest to employee ratio, it's like four to five to one. That's a pretty crazy discrepancy. And makes me, part of me makes me sad, but this is also just the reality. It's already happening. Anyway, that's a long fucking monologue. Very insightful, actually. That's it. End things on a high note. (laughs) Give us five stars. We can talk about all this some more, but yeah, you know, clearly a lot of the things that we talked about today are, are fresh in my mind. And even though I'm not in the kitchen, doing restaurants like I used to do. It's still always top of mind for me. All right. 